0: The Amazon Prime original series, Lore, returns October 19th with new true tales. Inspired by Aaron Mankey's hit podcast, this six-episode series includes two stories you've never heard on the podcast before. From an executive producer of The Walking Dead and an executive producer of The Exorcist, Lore explores haunting real-life tales that give rise to modern-day legends and myths. Start the Halloween season with some of history's biggest nightmares, because the scariest stories are true. Season 1 available now. Watch the new season of Lore October 19th, only on Prime Video. This is a brief disclaimer. There are a couple of adult themes in this episode, so if you listen with kids, check out the post on MythPodcast.com for more info. This week, on Myths and Legends, we're back in Norse mythology, where Odin makes a new friend, two Viking King BFFs just can't bring themselves to kill each other, and Loki learns his limits by getting drunk and screaming insults at a party full of gods. On the Creature of the Week, it's Hairy Baby Yoga, in the worst way possible. This is Myths and Legends, episode 125, Bound. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Okay, So we're back in Norse mythology at last. This time, it's with a true Norse myth tale that I haven't used before, because it didn't really fit into our narrative. It's not part of the Prose Edda, that book by Snorri Strolson, that contains almost all of what we know about Norse mythology, but it's part of a later saga. Think of it how, like, after Sherlock Holmes died, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle published extra stories, but framed it that Watson was digging through his papers and, oh, found so many extra stories he had recorded from his time with Sherlock, but forgot about. It's like that. This one was compiled by some Christian monks, and it really shows. The Christians at the time seemed to want to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to tell stories of Odin, Freya, Loki, and Thor, but there was that little tiny sticking point about them being gods. So the Christians just took that away. Instead, Odin was just a king of a land called Asgarth, a heathen land. And now that that little detail was out of the way, they could proceed to tell a story that sounded exactly like Odin, with all of his god powers and abilities. So today's story takes place between the time othin I'm just kidding, I'm not going to call him that, the time Odin sacrificed himself so he could see the runes and learn magic. And after the death of Baldr, but before the binding of Loki. Now, the Norse universe is divided into nine worlds. We, the humans, live on Midgard. Elsewhere, there are three main groups of beings that are about equal in power. The Aesir, the Vanir, and the Jotnar, or the Giants. The Aesir rule the universe from Asgard, and they're led by Odin and his son, Thor. The Vanir just came to a truce with the Aesir in a massively long war, and both sides don't like the Jotnar, or the Giants, who live in Jotunheim. As part of the truce between the Aesir and the Vanir, Freya, a Vanir, came to live in Asgard with her father and brother. And that is where we'll pick up today's story. Freya watched as Odin rose from bed and smiled. When she came to live in Asgard, she had wondered when this would happen. She had seen the glances and, despite his ruthlessness and genocidal tendencies, she decided to see how it would be. Her people had a treaty with the Asgardians, but Freya knew what it was. That's why she chose to go live in Asgard. Then, when Odin sacrificed himself to see the runes, he became the most powerful being in any of the nine realms. Freya was unattached, so, if he was into it, why not? Sure, he had a wife, but it didn't seem to bother him, so it didn't bother her, and, oh my gosh, why is he here? Odin looked down at the sentient head he had picked up off the floor. Oh, him? That's Mimir. Hey, Freya, said the head. Yeah, I know who he is, Freya replied, but why is he here? Oh, well, he died. You know how you guys lost the war, Odin said. It was a truce. Mm, Semantics, the Allfather said with a smirk. Well, Mimir and Hynir were the Aesir that were sent to live with Vanir, as Freya, her father, and brother have been sent to live with the Aesir. Well, they were so impressed by how handsome Hynir was that they made him their chieftain. Freya rolled her eyes. No wonder her people lost the war. Anyway, the issue with Hynir? He was pretty, but he was dumb. He did well when the wisest man in the nine worlds, Mimir, was whispering into his ear. But whenever Mimir didn't make it to the meetings or had to take a bathroom break, Hynir would inevitably say or do something stupid. The Vanir, feeling cheated because their sexy chieftain was an idiot, took it out on the actual worthwhile hostage they received. A week later, Odin had received a head in a box from Vanaheim. It wasn't a complete loss, however. In addition to many other things, Freya had been teaching Odin satyr magic. The war was over, and she knew the winning side. There had to be someone to stand against the jotnar and the fire giants, and Yormagandr, and every other monster beyond the walls. And so, even though Odin was a one-eyed sociopath, he was the best they had. Odin stuffed the head full of magic herbs, embalmed it, and chanted Freya's spells over it, until it came back to life. Yeah, and now I just hang out and give him life advice which is just so great, Mimir said. I'm also sounding board for all of his excellent ideas. It's not like he could dribble me like a basketball for telling him he shouldn't kill himself and hang himself from a tree for nine days so he can constantly be reminded of his impending doom. Freya stood. Well, she was happy it worked out for them. She looked up at Odin. Same time tomorrow? The Allfather nodded and left Freya's hall. Freya sat relaxing in the courtyard of Folkvenar when she heard a hammer ringing off in the distance. She stood and followed the sound, until she found herself wandering in the forest, looking on what appeared to be a sheer cliff face. Still, the sound of hammers and laughing called out from within. Freya knocked, but nothing happened. With a shrug, she returned home. It was a couple weeks of near daily visits to the forest, until one day, she arrived to find a door to the darkness open. Freya ducked low and found that the deeper she went, the warmer it became, until she was looking on the cozy forge of four dwarves. Immediately, they fell to the floor and lay prostrate. Get up, she told them. Why did they do that? Uh, the the beatings, the lead dwarf replied. The others nodded in unison. Freya shook her head. She wasn't an acer. She wasn't going to beat them. What were they doing? Did they live down here? The dwarves replied that yes and no, it wasn't by choice. Odin kept them down there to make stuff for him. The rock opened up at the top for them to see sunlight now and then and emptied the chamber pots, but they were expected to keep working. Freya nodded slowly, processing the discovery. That was terrible, but not surprising. Then she pointed to the necklace they were crafting. She liked it. How much? The dwarves looked at each other and threw up their hands. It wasn't really for sale. It's not that they wouldn't sell it, but what would they do with the money? They weren't really allowed out of the cave. Freya snapped her fingers, and the room was nearly full of gold and silver. Really? Not for all that? The dwarves shook their heads again. Freya shrugged, and the precious metals disappeared. They said they would only let the gold necklace go for their freedom. Well, (laughs) that, or, you know, the dwarves chuckled. Freya shook her head. No, she didn't. What were they talking about? And he looked at Freya. You know. Oh, sex? Freya asked, very matter of factly. The dwarf suddenly grew very, very self conscious. Freya looked the guys over. Yeah, okay. The dwarf's eyes widened. Wait, what? Frey explained that she was the goddess of love, sex, beauty, magic, and a lot of other stuff. But most importantly, she wasn't an Aesir. She was a Vanir. And she didn't share the same hang-ups as these guys had when it came to that. So sure, the cave wouldn't close for a few days, right? So tonight she'd be by for eeny, meeny, miny, you, she said to the dwarf, who proceeded to faint. you ever get the feeling that Freya is cheating on me?" Odin asked one night before downing his mead. I mean, she's your mistress. You're cheating on your wife with her, Loki said. I'm not sure you can be mad in this situation. Odin poured his blood brother another. He said he was the Allfather. If he wanted to get mad, he could get mad. Loki shrugged. They had a good thing going though, right? I mean, he gave her that gold necklace. What? 20 minutes later, Loki was a fly, buzzing along to Freya's house. He had been a blood brother to the Allfather for years. In that time, he'd watched Odin change. He had always been power hungry, but now he was growing more paranoid. The death of his son, Baldr, had been crushing. Not really because it was his son that he raised from a baby, but because of what it meant, that Ragnarok was coming. Loki knew what it meant when Hodor lined up his mistletoe and let it fly. He knew what it meant when he, in the form of that old lady, refused to weep and bring Baldur back. He knew it, and he wanted it. Loki didn't know the full scope of Ragnarok. He caught bits and pieces of it here and there when Odin talked about the world's burning and ending. The thing with Odin was, though, that with all of his wisdom and foresight, he had a hard time seeing past himself. It could be that all the worlds were going to end, or it could be that Odin's world was going to end. So, when Loki conspired with the giants, who, with the Aesir Vanir war over, were now being slaughtered in greater numbers than ever before, they had decided to take that chance. That was why Loki was in Asgard. That's this podcast characterization of Loki. Like most things in mythology, the character of Loki is a contradictory mess, so do with that what you will. Of course, Loki's super cool subversive resistance mission sometimes put him on less cool assignments, like sneaking into Odin's mistress's house and stealing a golden necklace. After zooming around Folk Venar half a dozen times, Loki finally found an opening. He shrunk to the size of a fruit fly and crept into the hole. As he approached Freya, he could see she was wearing the necklace. He hovered in the air above her head and, in a moment, popped into a flea that dropped into her clavicle. He walked the length of the gold necklace, but of course, the clasp was on the back. He rolled his little flea eyes and climbed up her cheek. Bite, 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 Loki said before he saw the shadow of Freya's hand rising up to greet him. He dove off her cheek and onto her pillow, just in time for her hand to scratch her cheek. She stirred and rolled over. Loki smiled and found the clasp. Can I have my necklace back now? Freya said the next morning when she found Odin at breakfast. Hi, Freya is it? Odin said with a shake of his head, indicating that Frigg, his wife, was in the next room. I'm always happy to bring justice for any of my subjects. Please, let's go to my throne room and discuss this friendly yet homely looking stranger. I'm not your subject. I'm Vanir, Freya said when they arrived in the throne room. There's a treaty in place that says as much, and even you can't go against that. Now give me back my necklace. Odin refused, until she admitted how she came by it. Freya shrugged. Okay, so she had a few very nice nights with some mythological creatures. Odin grimaced. Oh, he hadn't expected her to just come out and say it. She knew how I felt about them. Freya crossed her arms and asked Odin again. She wanted her necklace back. The Allfather pursed his lips. If she wanted it back, she needed to do something for him. Freya shook her head. No, those days were over. Odin furrowed his brow. No, not that. There were a couple of kings on Midgard who didn't listen to him when he was trying to lead them astray and mess up their lives. So now he wanted them to fight each other. Forever. Or at least until Ragnarok, if that was going to happen. Deal, said Freya, snatching the necklace. She would make her way down to Midgard. We'll see what Frey gets up to on Midgard, but that will be right after this. Alright, now back to the show. And, who are you exactly? I'm a beautiful woman sitting on a stone chair in the middle of the forest. I don't see what's so weird about that, said the Valkyrie, with her beautiful gold necklace. Uh, everything? King Hedden replied. So, you're like a big deal or something? A viking or something? King Hedden laughed. A viking? He was more than a viking. He had twenty kings subject to him in the Mediterranean and... Wait, are you texting? We're having a conversation here. The woman looked up. Oh, yeah, that's cool. 20 kings, nice job. King Hedden threw up his hands. Yeah, it was a nice job. No one else had 20 kings paying him tribute. Hogni does. Hedden shook his head. Who? The king of Denmark? Duh. He has 20 kings. Might be 21 now. You should fight him. Maybe I will. Hedden replied, starting to fume. Cool. Cool. Then maybe I'll care, the woman replied with a smirk. Oh, here come your men, she said, pointing behind him. Head and spun around to find his Vikings emerging from the trees. When he turned back to the chair, the strange woman was gone. <music> well, great. They're best friends now, Odin spat. What? Freya couldn't believe it. Odin nodded. Yep, Freya was supposed to get them to fight forever, but now they were best friends. And Hedden was even staying at Hogni's house. Hogni had left Hedden in charge of his entire kingdom while he was out doing Viking stuff. Great job, Freya. Top-notch work. Freya sighed. She had sworn an oath and she would see it through. They would be fighting before the year was out. Odin nodded, still glaring at Freya. I've got my eye on you he said in a menacing tone. Get it? Because they only have one eye. Oh, oh, she's gone. One day, while Hedden was out walking, he chanced upon a strange looking woman, once again sitting on a stone chair in the middle of nowhere. So when you getting married? Freya asked. Hedden, beaming, said that Hockney was going to give him his daughter. His new best bub was going to be his father-in-law. And all thanks to that beautiful stranger. Freya shook her head. She didn't think that was a good idea. Hedden looked at her quizzically. And why not? She said it made him look weak. (laughs) Asking for a wife? Please, a real man takes what he wants. Freya said he shouldn't ask for Hild, the daughter, but take her. And to show Hogni he was so strong, he should tie Hogni's wife up in front of his boat in the harbor and cut her in half like a ribbon at the end of a race. Hedden shook his head. It sounded like the stranger was baiting him with notions of toxic masculinity. He said he had something wonderful here. A friend. Hogni was a great guy, and Hedden wouldn't betray him. Also, that was really dark. Who thinks of stuff like that? Odin, Freya hissed under her breath. She popped a cork out of the mead and handed it to Hedden. He had chosen wisely. Let's drink to Hedden's exceptional decision making. Hedden grinned again. Why thank you, magical stranger in the woods offering me a totally normal drink. Bottoms up. Hedden drank deeply, and when he lowered the bottle, he wasn't in the forest anymore, but on his boat. There was a deep sobbing from a bound and gagged girl behind him and a solemn stillness from his men. He looked back and saw the remains of Hogney's wife in the harbor. Oh, oh no. Hey, sorry about all that, Freya said to Hedden. It wasn't really my call. Odin's a pretty horrifying jerk, and he more or less made me do that. I hope you'll understand. I was in a pinch with some dwarves and a necklace, and I really thought it would be easier to get two Viking kings to fight. But you guys became best friends. You really had something special. Anyway, you should sail away from here as quickly as possible, because he's going to kill you. Time to wake up now. Hedden snapped awake. That was when he heard the yelling. They had been moving as fast as they could for weeks now, making port in the evening and sailing again before first light. He didn't know it, but Hogni had a favorable wind. Thank you, Odin, and was catching up. Every evening they landed in the port that Hedden had left that morning until one afternoon, Hedden saw Hogni's ships on the horizon. His old friend was coming for him. There was only one thing left to do. As Hogni and his Vikings approached, he saw Hedden waving to him from the beach. He had all of his men behind him, and all of them were pointing to their weapons, sitting on the sand. Hedden was waving them in. When he docked and waded ashore, Hogney screamed that he was planning on giving Hedden his daughter to marry. He didn't have to kidnap the girl, and also saw his wife in half. What was wrong with him? Hedden sighed from the beach. Would, would Hogney believe it was magic mead? Pushing through waist-deep waves to the shoreline, Hogni shook his head. No, absolutely not. A raven shot past into the evening sky, and when it disappeared from view, Hogni continued. He could forgive the kidnapping of his daughter, but Hedden would have to answer for the queen right now. He ordered his men off the ships and onto the beach, and Hedden immediately threw up both hands. He understood what he did was wrong. He had no control, but please... He was the one who gave the orders. No one else needed to die but him, but Hogni wouldn't hear it, and shook his head. His former friend might have given the order, but his men carried it out. Everyone on this island would fight. Hedden shook his head, and looked sadly to the ground, just as an axe found his collarbone, cutting him to the ribs. Hogni whipped around, urging his men on to slaughter all of Hedden's troops, but they didn't move. Instead, They looked behind him in horror. The king turned and found Hedon standing before him, only he didn't look like Hedden anymore. His eyes were glazed over and he had wrenched the ax from his quickly healing torso. He raised it above his terrified former friend and buried it in his head. The men screamed and rushed each other. "'Why did you do that?' Freya asked, "'as the pair watched the armies of the two Viking kings kill each other "'and rise over and over again.' "'Uh, cause it's hilarious?' Odin replied with a smile. "'There's nothing on Netflix, and also Netflix won't exist for 1,500 years. "'The kings were friends, and now they're killing each other. "'It works on so many levels, it's hilarious.' "'Freya rolled her eyes and left Odin to his afternoon entertainment.' Sometime later, Loki blinked awake, his head pounding. The sun was so bright, then someone blocked it for him. Oh, thanks. He opened his eyes a bit wider to see who blocked the sun for him, and saw the form of Thor standing over him. Hey buddy, if you wouldn't mind standing there for about three more hours, I'm just, I'm really hungover. Wait, oh no, Loki said remembering the dinner the night before. Loki had arrived on time to a party that he hadn't been invited to. It was at the house of Ager the Acer, whose parents evidently had a sense of humor. Loki had long since learned that if you looked like you were supposed to be in a place, and you carried yourself with authority, people usually let you through. That was not the case with Eldir, Ager's servant slash bouncer. He put his hand on Loki's chest and stopped him from walking in the door. Loki had looked up, asking what he thought the man was doing, because he surely wasn't keeping a blood brother of Odin from the feast. Eldir looked the wiry Loki up and down. Yeah, that was exactly what he was doing. They were in there talking about their weapons, and the next stages of the war against the giants, and Loki wasn't invited. For a long time, Loki had been feeling as if he was an outsider among the Aesir, even since before he refused to cry and bring back Baldur, He thought they didn't know it was him, and he wondered what else they knew. To find out, he had to get into that feast. Loki politely excused himself from Eldir, saying that Eldir was right. He, Loki, really was the worst, and he was going to go give birth to more magical horses now. Bye-bye now. Seconds later, a fly buzzed past Elder's ear. Once Loki was past the door, he turned back into his normal form, and stepped into the hall. Everyone fell silent. At that moment, Loki hated them. He'd always hated them, but sitting there, enjoying a feast while Thor was easting Jotunheim slaughtering giants, it was disgusting. Everything went out the window at that moment. He sat at the bench and demanded a drink. Get out, the Aesir called Bragi, spat in Loki's direction. Loki turned to Odin. Didn't they swear an oath together? Long ago, after Loki saved Odin from the giants, they had mingled their blood together. Odin said he would never drink unless Loki was served as well. From a seat, Odin seethed. Yes, he had sworn that. With a grimace, he commanded someone to get Loki a drink. This whole night was a waste, and Loki knew it from the moment he entered the room. The Aesir didn't trust him anymore. Bragi was now talking a lot about how anytime Loki got involved, Things went badly for them. He had fathered Fenrir, who bit off Tyr's hand. Jormungandr, who was fated to kill Thor. There was even talk of Balder. Loki finished his drink and waved for another. He said he had been many things, but he had never been a blind old man shooting mistletoe. Thanks for playing. Bragi's wife, Eden? She was cheating on him. Eden cleared her throat. Her husband should stop hassling Loki. Loki's lying, of course, but you know, no need to keep going down that road. Odin looked at his old friend, saying that if he kept up, someone would take him outside. Loki smiled. He should be fine then, right? Odin let the weaker party win all the time. He would spur these great kings to battle and then abandon them so they would be taken to Valhalla and be stuck with him for eternity. Odin narrowed his eye. That was for Ragnarok and Loki knew it. They needed the best there. Besides, not every man could choose to disappear for months and give birth in a cave. Loki shrugged. He knew who he was. At least he didn't wander around Midgarp pretending to be an old wizard. Everyone always knew that it was Odin. He was the only one who did that. Their back and forth continued, as Loki drained drinks number two and three. Finally, Freya spoke up, saying that Loki should really slow down. Loki just laughed. Freya! She wasn't just sleeping with the Allfather and the dwarves, but her own brother as well? That's like Lannister-level gross. And she was just as complicit in Odin's schemes now, too. Those kings that were fighting, Loki finally put a stop to that one after 140 years. Seriously, guys, Loki had to lure some Christians in who killed the undead warriors with one stroke because they were Christians, and that story was written by Christians. Loki sneered. Freya might be a Vanir, but she knew which side she had chosen. Freya stopped talking and sat down. Standing against chaos and death was the only side. Even if it meant standing with a tyrant, the best bad option was sitting at the head of the table, and she had made her choice. Frigg was now suggesting that Loki try and calm down. There wouldn't be fighting in this hall, but Asgard could be dangerous for Loki if he kept talking. Loki drained yet another drink before he laughed. Frigg, Odin's wife was speaking up now. Great to hear from you for the first time on this podcast. Cool, she had skeletons just like everyone else at this table. They and Vili? Odin's own brothers? Ush, that was cold even for Loki. There were also rumors of her and Vidriar's wife, too. And dangerous? Frigg should know who she was talking to. Loki was the most dangerous being in Asgard. Fenrir, Jormungandr, and you know what? It was time to come clean. Hodor shot Balder. But blind men? Well, they were notoriously bad at aiming. He had just needed a little nudge, and the reason Balder wasn't sitting at the table with them, that was Loki too. You're welcome. They were right, and they all knew it. He was the woman who refused to weep. He kept Balder in hell, where he belonged. A great commotion and a few gasps rippled instantly through the group. As Loki stood from the table, scraping the bench legs on the floor, he drained his final glass in front of the stunned room. It had been fun, Really, but he should be going. He turned and he bumped right into Thor. Loki snapped his fingers. Ah, it's too bad Thor was so late. He really wished he could reminisce about the time the mighty Thor trembled in a giant's glove, or the time he peed himself when facing a giant, or the time he married one of the giants, or the time he got a whetstone lodged in his forehead. That was looking great, by the way. It was only just slightly extremely noticeable. Anyway, time to go. In a flash, Loki turned into a fly, and buzzed right past Thor's ear, and out of the feast. The next morning, things were kind of fuzzy, and Loki didn't know how he woke up at the top of a waterfall. But what he did know, was who was standing above him. Thor. And though Loki was a little fuzzy on the details of the previous night, Thor was not. Loki scrambled to his feet, and stood before Thor, saying that last night, (sighs) he had been drunk. Loki threw up his hands, He had been having a bad day, and he said some crazy things, but all that stuff he said, he took one step back, and then smirked. All that stuff he said, it was all true. In an instant, Loki transformed into a fish, and plummeted toward the water. And Thor's hand shot out, and caught him, right before he touched it. Thor squeezed the fish, and just before Loki lost consciousness, Odin arrived saying that Thor shouldn't kill him. They had something else in store for him. As we know, the binding of Loki gets very dark very fast. We won't go over it again, we've already talked about it twice in this podcast. The Acer murdered his son, Nalfi, and bound Loki up with his entrails, before placing a snake over his head, to drop poison on him forever, until he breaks those bonds, and starts Ragnarok. That's where we're going to leave the story for today. I love the Norse myths, and as I was looking back, I realized that we never really connected the dots, between Loki not weeping for Baldur, and him being bound, and we introduced Freya as Goldgreed the Witch, a while back, who came to Asgard as a hostage to the Aesir-Vanir War, but we never really explored, how she came to essentially be one of them, and fight 100% on their side at Ragnarok. If you want to hear the story in its entirety, I have updated the list of Norse myth episodes on the site and put them in chronological order. You can check it out at mythpodcast.com. That's it for this week. Next week on the podcast, it's our annual Halloween episode, where we'll be talking about a creature so terrifying, I've been putting off doing it as a Halloween episode for three years. I want to say thanks to The Blast Rider, Farmer Jono, KJ255678, Lola Love Dog, George Dean, J Dilla 23, Iron Tracks, Emerit, Emilusine, Ms Brogard, SD 403Y, and Matthew Dragon for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for the reviews. I really appreciate it. It's great to hear from you. And if you'd like to leave a review there, it does help the show. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site for less than the price of one cow brain that you can buy online, though. I read that I guess you should buy in bulk to make it cheaper to save $1 per cow brain. You can get extra episodes, source-back ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that will make you smarter than buying an extra brain. That's not really how it works. To get more information on the membership, and not cow brains, check out support.mythpodcast.com. The creature this week is the Involche from Chile a lot of mythological creatures are really into kidnapping children. Like, if we lumped all the creatures of the week together, it's like their number two defining trait behind hairy nudity. Even with 150 plus creatures, I don't think I've come across one as tragic or as weird as the Involce. A warlock will capture a firstborn male when he's a baby, and take him back to his cave, because of course he lives in a cave. The cave is only accessible through a lake too. That matters because it's the only way the Involce can hang out with his friends. You'll see. There, things somehow get darker than child kidnapping. If you don't like the idea of turning a child into a Stretch Armstrong, this is probably a good point to end the episode. Anyway, the warlock will take the baby's legs and bring them back up over its back, and twist the other limbs into unnatural positions. A hole will be cut into the shoulder blade, and the right arm will be inserted through it, so it looks like the arm is growing out the kid's back, because I guess that extremely impractical thing is something that warlocks think looks cool. Anyway, The baby's head will be misshapen, and the warlock will bathe it in a tonic to make hair grow all over its body. As a cherry on top, the warlock will give the kid a forked tongue and bottle feed it with the milk of a black cat. I guess the warlock can milk a cat. Anyway, as the child grows older, the warlock will wean him from the cat's milk and move on to solid food, which isn't much better because it's human flesh. Not that there's a good type of human flesh to eat, but the warlock goes cheap. He doesn't bring the fresh stuff, but just stops by the graveyard for like, the manager's special level of human flesh. The Involce, the kid, rarely leaves the cave. Only if the warlock is discovered, or if the warlock needs to go to the warlock's council, something I desperately want to know more about, but cannot find any details on whatsoever. Full grown, the Involce is a vampire. And though warlock dad brings back mostly undecayed meat from the graveyard, the Involce can command his octopus buddies to kidnap young women, so he can drain them of their blood. Only an epic hero can kill a warlock's Involce, If you're unsure about your epic hero status, it might be safe to say you probably aren't one. I know I'm not. So if you're swimming in a lake and see an entrance to a cave in the deep and decide to go to investigate, only to find a shrieking hairy guy with an arm growing out of his back, there is only one way to placate the creature so you can leave. And I'm not joking about this. It's there in the folklore. You have to kiss its butt. I don't know why brown nosing placates the monster, but if you want to live, just get it over with swim back home, and never speak of it to anyone ever again. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and support for today's show comes from Empty Faces, a monthly subscription that sends you cryptic clues, objects, and ciphers that you can use to solve a mystery in real time. It's a fun surprise on your doorstep, and you want to start solving the mystery from the moment you open the box. Everything you need is inside. It's really fun. Right now, just for our listeners, you can go to EmptyFaces.com legends for 10% off your first box. They only accept 200 members per day, so hurry to take advantage of this offer. That's EmptyFaces.com legends for 10% off your first box. EmptyFaces.com legends. Today's episode was hosted and written by me. Jason Weiser and the story editor was Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.